We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always, my co-host, Nick Filato. Tonight, we're here to break down the Giants' disappointing Week 13 loss to the Miami Dolphins. Honestly, I barely even know the final score, Nick. I don't think it's too much. <laughs> like, it's not even worth like, like worth going over. It was 20-9, to 9, but it's a, a score that you barely know. One of those types of situations. Obviously, things have gotten bleak for the New York Giants with Daniel Jones dealing with a neck injury. That one feels to me, which we'll talk about a little bit, like it could be a season ender just because of the way this injury has been described, the way I've seen it described, Nick, which is basically like they're kind of scared. They don't know if he can take any contact. Like it's not like an injury. It's like, oh, well, here's the diagnosis. It's a broken foot. It's four to eight weeks. It's like, no, they don't really know when he can play because they're scared of him getting hit on the neck. It's a scary area to be injured. So obviously the Mike Lennon offense disaster. We'll talk a little bit about that, Nick, but I want to start, start today's show by trying to tap into some of the good stuff. Cause there are two young players on this giants defense that I thought had an excellent game in this one against the dolphins and general, man, this defense played their hearts out considering the, the, the situation they're in with an offense that constantly punts the ball. I mean, there were two possessions today where Joe judge punted uh, inside dolphins territory and fourth and short, just, it's just getting unbelievable at this point with the way he plays this game. And it's so funny. Somebody mentioned this to me, Nick. They're like, you know, Joe Judge preaches field position, and that's why he makes these decisions to punt. But the Giants are a bend, don't break defense. So it doesn't really add up, right? Like, if you're going to preach field position, that's probably better for defenses that are like the Spags kind. Like, the you saw the Chiefs tonight. Like, you know, heavy, or even the Dolphins. Heavy blitz, heavy man, you know, can get off the field in three plays. The Giants aren't that defense. They're a defense that lets you get into the red zone, but prevents you from scoring touchdowns when you get there and tries to force turnovers on you. And so like, it doesn't really even make sense. The things he does like these punts, the way he coaches this game, man, we, we have a lot to talk about with judge, man. Cause I thought this was just a generally objectively speaking, subpar coaching game from the time management, the burn timeouts, the punting in opponents territory again on fourth and short, just nothing good there from this guy. I mean, and in general, man, like when the offense looks this discombobulated, I don't care who the quarterback is. You had a week to practice the things that we saw out there from the offense. That's on everyone. That's on the coordinator. That's on the coach too. The coach has to get these guys ready. The coach can't have these guys taking all these penalties, not knowing where, the, you know, where oh, running out of time, they got to call timeout, you know, where, it seemed like no one was on the same page with this offense at any point. That's coaching to some, to a big degree, man, you have a week to get prepared for this game and this offense will totally unprepared. But I did say, I want to start with the good stuff, Nick. So I want, I have two players I want to highlight that I'm pretty excited about after watching today and actually make it three. I want to see if you can guess them. So start us off, Nick, by giving your first guess. I think I know all three and we did not talk about this pre-show, but this is a moment for me. We didn't. Yeah. This is a moment for me to try and nail Dan Schneier's mind right here. And also what I saw. So Quincy Roche. One for one. Ding, ding, ding. 
Aziz Ojolari. Two for two. Ding, ding, ding. And then Aaron Robinson. Yeah, you nailed him. You got all three. Yeah. Damn it. You can't, you, I can't beat you. I can't get anything. I can't slip anything past the goalie, apparently. Let's talk about him one by one. Let's start with Quincy Roche. There is, um, you know, just to be transparent with everyone, we did talk about one player before the pod. It was Quincy Roche. So that one was a little, we probably hinted at a little bit just because we were really excited. And like you said before the podcast, like what we're seeing from him. Now, granted, this was not the best offensive line the Giants faced, probably one of the easiest offensive lines they faced all year, but it doesn't matter. You can see it against these are NFL linemen, and he has he moves like somebody who can be a contributor on passing downs for a long time to come. And the Giants have him essentially, you know, at the cost of nothing. The opportunity cost to, to acquire a player like him was nothing. And so it's exciting to see him out there making plays at a real one really amazing pass rush in this game. And I feel pretty good, Nick, about Quincy Roche heading into this offseason as a potential situational pass rusher. Somebody who can spit like you got Aziz locked in and you might have Quincy. You might have um, Ellerson Smith. And potentially, if they're lucky enough to get a chance at Aiden Hutchinson or uh, Thib- uh, I'm never going to know how to pronounce his name. Is it Thib? How do you pronounce it? Kayvon Thibodeau. Thibodeau. I'm, I'm going to, this is going to be like a constant battle for me to, to see if I could pronounce, <laughs> pronounce that correctly and not, you know, obviously it's a hard H or it's not a hard H, whatever it's called. You know, this is, this is, I've had some bad ones lately, Nick, and I've been called out on Twitter. So I'm trying to correct myself early and before the peanut gallery gets after me, the uh, brass facts one I've been dropping uh, apparently a couple <laughs> shows in a row, not the correct saying. So you know how I do, but, if they can get their hands on one of those two pass rushers, pair him with Roche, Ellison, Smith, and obviously Aziz Ojolari, we'll get to in a minute. I feel pretty good about that. How are you feeling about Roche and what did you see today that you liked? My favorite play from Roche was the sack, a third and five. It was in the first quarter with about 130 left in the game. And he's going up against Liam Eikenberg. And Liam Eikenberg is one of the worst starting tackles in the NFL right now. So we got to keep that in mind. But still, this is somebody who was selected high in the NFL draft out of Notre Dame. And Quincy Roche was somebody selected late in day three coming out of Miami. And Roche hits him with this long arm move, man, and just stabs him directly in the chest and gets hip to hip and then tosses him to the ground to force Tua Tagovailoa to a blitzing Tay Crowder where he goes to evade Tay Crowder. Tua, that is. Quincy Roche finishes the sack. And this is something I love about Roche, man. He's getting pressure, but he's not only just getting pressure, he's also finishing the play. And that's something that young players tend to kind of struggle with a lot, Dan, right? Like they'll be, oh, wow, look at that. He used a chop and a swim move and he got into the pocket, but then he couldn't finish the play. Oh, darn. Quincy Roche, he finishes the play quite often. And he also had a couple plays in the run game that I really like to see as well and a couple other pressures throughout the game. So I just felt like he's a young player on a defense that is, I would say the defense for the Giants is above average, but he's somebody who's shining every time we turn the tape on. And that is an excellent thing for a team that is just absolutely abysmal right now. It's an excellent thing for a roster that's clearly in need of hits. The Giants at this stage of their roster building, whatever you want to call it, like this is a rebuild, I guess you can call it. I don't really know if that's the case at this point, four years into the Gettleman regime, because there's a lot that will be changing. You know, they're going to have, they're not going to probably bring back the Carters and the Hernandez of the world, guys that were supposed to be core pieces of this offense. And obviously who knows about the future right now with Jones and Barkley, but in general, as you go year to year with this thing, you need to hit. You need to hit on some of these late rounders. You need to. We thought we had that with Darius Slayton. Maybe we don't have that. But after 2019, we felt like, okay, we hit on a fifth rounder. You need to hit on and, – and with Roche, it's like a guy who they didn't even have to use a draft pick on. They were able to just scoop up. The Steelers thought they would squeak him through the practice squad. And he just looks like a great fit for the system. But I think what you said, Nick, is the main point that I'm excited about with Roche. He finishes plays. He's really – He's really done an excellent job of finishing plays. And why is that important? Well, you know, we preach on the show a lot, and we're not the only ones. A lot of people talk about this. You know, Joe Stale- or um, Brandon Staley spoke about it. Pressures are really important. They're king. We agree with that. Pressure, it, uh, sacks are not the be-all, end-all. But finishing plays both in the run game for tackles for loss and in the passing game, they're still really important. Like, the sack he had was a massive play in the first half of this game. The Giants were in this game for a while, despite obviously having no offense. And, you know, that's in large part due to plays like this one. So I'm excited about Roche. Let's talk about the next player that I'm excited about. And that's Aziz Ojolari. You know, six and a half sacks now. He's only a rookie. He's only through week 13. The added game's going to help. I think he's going to get to double-digit sacks, Nick. I really do. Yeah, he very well might get to double-digit sacks. I mean, he's going to have to have a strong second half for that to happen. But already, he's already broken the rookie sack record for the New York Giants, if I'm not mistaken. And he got a sack on Tua 
from stunting, which is something that I expected or we expected, I should say, expected him to be good at. He was aligned outside. The Giants end up bringing four rushers, and they use Leonard Williams and I think Ellerson Smith as penetrators, if I'm not mistaken. And he just sloops right to the A-gap, and the left guard doesn't pick him up at all. And he comes kind of unabated right at Tua, and then it hits him, and then it's like a kind of a group sack because I believe Lorenzo Carter was in on the play as well. But that's something that I like about Aziz as well. He does finish sacks. We've seen that throughout the year. He has a lot of covered sacks, just to kind of speak objectively. But he's also someone who can be used really effectively on these stunts, on these twists, because he has the agility to kind of plant his foot in the ground, bend, and then kind of get around those tight crevices and make himself small. He's not a big guy in terms of height. He's about six foot two, but he has incredibly long arms. I just think there's a lot to kind of build with Aziz Ojolari. I think there's a lot of... I, I guess you could say measurables, athletic ability, all of those things I feel like he has in his wheelhouse. And he's still kind of scratching his, the surface of his potential because he's not overly refined quite yet. And once he is overly refined, I feel like he can be an excellent player for the New York Giants moving forward. Perfectly said, Nick. I feel that exact same way about him. I think, you know, you saw that play. It was a perfect example of just timing, nuance to his game. That was such a well-executed loop and stunt by him. I mean, he pulled it off perfectly. And like you said, it does feel like he's just scratching the surface. Yes, we kind of predicted this and knew that he would hit the ground running within this system. You know, we said all offseason. I, I mean, I predicted my bull prediction was double-digit sacks for Aziz, lead the team in sacks, and I can still see that coming true because he's a great fit for the system. But what he and, – and obviously we both love the fact that he had an NFL-ready move, but that's just one little aspect of his game, and it's really interesting to think about. He's still a really young prospect, right? He could still get a lot better in a lot of ways both from his pass rushing moves arsenal, how he plays the run, which he's already pretty solid at. And I kind of like what I see already. It's not like O'Shane Ziminen, so you know it's just like you can't have out there against the run. He's kind of a one-way player that tips off what you want to do. Probably won't be on the roster very long in my mind. Um, but, you know, we don't feel that way at all with disease. It just feel like he's scratching the surface. I do kind of feel like we're getting a first-round pick out of him. I, don't, I know he's not as flashy as some of these other edge guys that have come out recent years, like the Chase Youngs of the world. But I don't necessarily know if he has to be for him to be a really good player in his position because of the little things that he does well that you went over so well. And just because of the fact that he's going to be one of those pass rushers, I think, who's going to win in a lot in a variety of ways. Not maybe now, not yet, but as he improves his pass rush arsenal and as he gets older, grows into his body, has more reps, things of that nature. Absolutely, man. And that's something that I'm very excited about. If I'm excited about anything with this team, it is the duo of Quincy Brochet, Aziz Ojolari, and some of these other young pieces on the defense. And that especially is the fact if Patrick Graham is retained as a defensive coordinator and he stays here, because I do still believe in Patrick Graham. The defense didn't play poorly in this game. They came up big on a lot of third downs. We're getting pressure on Tua. And then down the stretch of the game, yeah, they gave up a couple third downs. James Bradbury, if I remember correctly, he was beat on a back shoulder throw to Devontae Parker. Then he had Mike Kosicki just absolutely mossing Julian Love on that one play over the middle, man. I was like, oh, dude, that's just a bad look right there. But I can't even blame Julian Love because Mike Kosicki is one of the best I guess you could say spark contested catch type of athletes in the National Football League he plays tight end but he's really just like a wide receiver in a tight end body. he's just like a he's he's a very unique type of player so all in all though I'm not disappointed in the Giants defense after this game what's going on everyone football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because tick pick that's t-i-c-k-p-i-c-k is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go to find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then Please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I thought the Giants defense played phenomenal. I mean, even the back shoulder play, I'm not blaming Bradbury. It was a sick catch, and it was a pretty well-placed ball. I mean, and look, this is what I tell the people who keep blaming the defense or get mad about maybe like the late half touchdown they gave up. They do give up a lot of points at the end of halves. Okay, that's one thing I'll knock them for today. That's about it for me, man. When you have to put your defense on the field that amount of times that Joe Judge put his defense on the field twice on his own doing by not going for it on fourth down in my mind, on fourth and short, just pathetic coaching in my mind. I stand by it, always will stand by it, and, you know, it keeps happening. So it's just a continuation of what we see. But, you know, when this defense is on the field, how many times do they have to just come right back on the field because the offense didn't do anything for them? That's a lot to ask. Like, at some point, there will be some breaks. Like, you just... You're not, any defense in the world that's forced to have that many possessions is not going to be able to shut down the offense every single possession in a league where the rules are tilted for the offense. The rules are tilted for the passing game. You can't hold these guys. You can't bump these guys. You can't play them physical in coverage. It makes it really difficult to pat, to play pass coverage. And, you know, like Logan Ryan said, I mean, people won't like the line he said about two of throwing short passes, but that's all they did. I mean, they moved the ball pretty short. They had a couple plays. You talked about the Jasicki play, Devontae Parker back shoulder. There was one big one to Waddle. It's kind of about it. I mean, Giants didn't let up much to Gaskin or the run game. This was a pretty dominant. I uh, dare I say dominant performance by the defense, given the factors that I've gone over, Nick, which are the offense made it as impossible as they possibly could have for this defense in my mind. The offense couldn't have done less for this defense. And so yeah, it's offense, a lot to ask. And yeah, the offense, like, the offense was bad. Yeah, and there's no doubt about it. It's almost unwatchable how bad this offense is. I'm not looking forward to getting into the All-22. Oh, I, I'm Glennon's disgusted offense. by the thought of having to break down. The, I'm sorry. Like I hate to say it. This is our podcast, and we're going to try to do some different things over the next few weeks, too. Some mailbag. Start to maybe take an early look at prospects because we need to do something fun. It can't be all All-22, this offense right now. But that was the worst offensive performance I've seen by the Giants since I started covering this team in 2016. There And that was some Ben McAdoo years where they were running the 11 personnel scoring 10 points a game off just an Odell slant. But at least you got that Odell house slant, you know, or that big Odell player to every game. You don't get anything. You got nothing today from this offense. I mean, you had a, a couple nice and early on, it looked like they were getting something going with Galladay. You finally hit a back shoulder. It took us 13 weeks to hit a back shoulder to Kenny Galladay. Mm-hmm. And that's how insane to me that it took that long, but it took us 13 weeks. We got one. We got another couple plays to Galladay. And that was kind of that it for the offense for the rest of the game. Barkley you know, had one nice run, but obviously there's not much going there. Uh, going on there either with the run game, the blocking, or Barkley. But we'll get to the offense, Nick. I do want to touch on the third defensive player we highlighted, and that's Aaron Robinson. I think my piece is this, and then I'll turn it over to you, Nick. Some players, especially some positions and corners, one of them, I kind of feel, Nick, like you can know if they're going to be a player for your team early on. Like you kind of knew when Beal got out there, Sam Beal wasn't going to be a player. It was going to be a bust. Even DeAndre Baker. Like we made excuses and we were like, let's give this guy time. Let's hope things turn around. I mean, dear God, he was a first round pick. We traded three picks for to third, a fourth and a first and an early second to get up to get the guy. Jeez, that's hard to even go back on and think about it. So painful. But, you know, we wanted to give him time. But early on, it kind of you can kind of tell he wasn't going to be a hit. And he hasn't been a hit for KC since signing with them. And that has nothing to do with the off field stuff. He's back and he's just not somebody who's working his way onto the field 
successfully for them. But with Aaron Robinson, I kind of feel like, you know, already this guy's going to likely be a hit. He's made plays in coverage that I like. He's physical in the run game. He's physical at the point of attack. I really do feel like this guy, they, they nailed it here. And we loved his profile. Like we loved watching his film. We thought he could be a player. I wasn't sure he was going to be a hit on the out on the outside though. Like going into this game, Nick, I felt like, okay, this could be a bad game for the defense for the simple fact that Adore Jackson has been one of their most consistent players on either sides of the ball. And he's out for this game. What's going to happen. They have a rookie now out there. And you know what? I felt like he picked up the slack and he played great. Yeah, it's easy to tell that he's a player. Just the way he moves, the fluidity of his hips, the way he transitions, he doesn't lose any momentum at all. He's usually in phase, to be honest. And he's just, to me, I, when I watch him, dude, I can see that he's a man coverage type of cornerback. I can see that he's a physical cornerback in terms of the way he's going to play the run in run support. And I can also see there's some instincts there as well, which leads to solid zone coverage. Now we saw last week against Jalen Rager, he could have easily surrendered touchdown passes to Jalen Rager on both of those plays. And I broke it down at big blue view, but if you watch the, the, the second one, the last one was a play where Jalen hurts extemporized and he had nowhere to go because Aaron Robinson was all over Rager before the pass. And then the other one that was a little bit earlier in that drive Robinson was in great coverage, and then he got caught looking back at Jalen Hurts and tried to transition back to Jalen Rager to look at Rager, and he kind of got tripped up a little bit. But I just feel like he's in phase a lot of the time. I'm not worried about Aaron Robinson and his transition to probably or possibly being a starter here for the New York Giants in the coming weeks, and that's if Odor Jackson isn't there. And I'm starting to look at him, Darnay Holmes, and I like Darnay Holmes. I think he's had a solid season, but I think Aaron Robinson offers a lot more. So I think he's the third cornerback on this team behind Adore Jackson and James Bradbury. Yeah, I love that call, Nick, and I feel really good about it too. I think you know it can be boiled down. We use you know, there's a lot of things we can say that we like or or you know things traits things of that nature, but it can really be boiled down to what you said. You could see it by the way he moves, and you could see it by the physical nature and that he's a man coverage guy. Like, will he get beat occasionally throughout his Giants career on maybe a big play, uh, slot for something of that nature, or even on the outside potentially? Obviously, he's not a four four athlete. Like he's not a Dory Jackson in phase on deep balls. Like I think you did a great job for those who didn't see. Nick did a thread. I don't know if it was a thread, but you did a video tweet um, on Twitter this past week, breaking down some of your favorite plays from a Dory Jackson. That's like what it looks like to have a really fast corner who can cover all depths of the field. I'm not saying Robinson will be that, but he doesn't need to be that for the Giants, for him to be successful with the Giants, especially not in this Patrick Graham system, in my opinion, uh, the way they use their corners and kind of the way they use their coverages. So I'm excited about those three men. I'm really excited about them. This defense, is it sucks to have this season wasted with the defense playing the way they did. Like, yeah, they weren't great at the beginning of the year, but this defense has been locked and loaded for six weeks, and it's not like they're facing the likes of what they faced last year with Brandon Allen, who they faced with the Bengals, Andy Dalton with the Cowboys and that beat-up Cowboys offensive line, Carson Wentz and that beat-up Eagles offensive line. No, it's not that. It's been Patrick Mahomes one of the game, Tom Brady a game, Obviously, this hasn't been, you know, two is not a great example of this, but two great quarterbacks in that span of dominant defense for the Giants makes me feel honestly like this defense is playing even better than they did last year, context included. And so it does kind of suck to have this defense wasted with an offense that's actually somehow worse than it was last year. So let's get into that now, Nick, unless there's something else you want to touch on with the defense. I want to talk about the offense today. I want to talk about next week because we have an injury to report that's going to change things up big time next week. And I want to talk about the coaching because that one is also very important <laughs> to me and near and dear and needs to be discussed in a game like this where they're just, you know, putting out such a pathetic performance um, and such a, un, it just looked so, it just looked so unprepared out there. It really did. So let's start with, I guess, the quarterback position. I'll say this. Here's my two cents on it. Glennon came out, looked okay at first, right? Like he hit the back shoulder to Galladay. He, he had a couple rips in there to Ingram where the the velo looked good. He threw one pass to Ingram where he literally on the third and a third down, I think it was third and 10. He threw him open. Like that was a throw Daniel Jones hasn't made a lot this year where Ingram was not open. He released the ball before Ingram was open. He didn't wait for Ingram to get open. He threw it to a spot where Ingram could get open and Ingram did. And he caught the ball. Ingram, by the way, was the best player on offense in this game. I have, I'm going to, to say this now and throw this out there, Nick, I have a strong feeling that when I talk about the unheralded player of the week for our all 22 film of this pathetic offensive performance, there's going to be literally no one else to talk about, but Evan Ingram, we'll see if that's right. That's my early thing. But 
as the game went on, man, it felt like Glennon was just so rattled. And it's crazy to me. Like this guy has so many starts under his belt. And it was almost like, oh my God, I've never seen a team that's going to blitz me this much and play. Man, he was falling off his back foot times. He didn't need to early on, just back, 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 fall off your back foot throw, missing throws left and right, missing easy open throws, just really bad and really shook against the blitz. I, I Now we find out after the game, he has a concussion. Jake Fromm, according to Ralph Acciano, is likely to start for the Giants next week. That's Jake Fromm, who they literally just scooped off off a practice squad. Probably doesn't know the playbook very well, but that probably, you know, gives us a hint that Daniel Jones, in my mind, I'm, I'm operating under the assumption Daniel Jones won't play again this year because of that neck injury so unpredictable. And you just, I don't know when he'll be cleared or if he can be cleared at this point, but we'll see what happens there. Um, but Glennon with a concussion is unlikely to play, it seems like, next week. So maybe that played a factor, Nick, the concussion. Maybe it happened early, unreported, played through it. I don't know, man, but let's start there. What did you think of Glennon in his spot start? He missed way too many throws in this game, and it also didn't help that the Giants were dropping some passes. You had the third and ten drop by Darius Slayton. That would have been a first down. You'd take one Barkley that dropped several passes. I think Slayton dropped another ball. But all in all, when you look at Glennon, he just – how many times did he have a receiver open and he was just a little bit late to kind of get the ball out of his hands over the middle of the field, or he was just off with his placement. The one to John Ross that you mentioned earlier is probably the most egregious one because Ross could have caught that in space, would have easily picked up a first down and probably would have got a little bit more with his speed and agility in space. So it wasn't an impressive performance at all from Mike Glennon or from this offense in general. Yeah, so speak to the offense then, too, because it's obviously another game for Freddie Kitchens to kind of, I guess I would say, um, I don't know what the right word is, but audition maybe for Giants play caller for 2022. I mean, at this point, knowing Mara, I think there's a good strong chance Joe Judge will be back, even if this team like doesn't win any more games this year. Just, you know, because in his mind, he hasn't lost the locker room. That's all that seems to matter for him, uh, I guess. Um, but as far as that goes, he's going to need a coordinator. He's going to need someone to call the plays, and he's very close to Kitchens, obviously. So just from your standpoint, aside from kind of, I guess, putting aside Glennon, putting aside the problems they have at consistently with this offensive line play, um, what did you think of Freddie Kitchens in his second full game calling plays? It was tough to to really gauge it with Mike Glennon and the fact that this quarterback or this playbook is designed for a quarterback who is mobile, but I'm trying to kind of, you know, keep that in the back of my mind. But overall, you're not moving the football whatsoever. I thought he used a little bit of tempo, it seemed like a little bit to, to kind of spark the run game when they when yeah. they rushed for 23 yards and then they rushed for 17 yards with Saquon Barkley and Devontae Booker. Those were really nice runs right there. And it seemed like they ran at an area of the Dolphins defense that that was vulnerable. And they also, I want to say on one of the runs, I don't know the video in front of me, in front of me they used like a, a fake jet sweep in um, pre-snap motion to kind of hold part of the defense. And I think that sprung Saquon Barkley's 23-yard run. So I like the fact that he's incorporating some of those elements pre-snap to try to gain an advantage post-snap. But overall, man, I mean, it, the Giants didn't do anything offensively. So I look at the offensive coordinator. I think a lot of it was execution. It's kind of hard for me to see the broadcast and know exactly what's going on down the football field on the vertical concepts and everything like that. But right. just from everything I saw, nine points isn't going to cut it whatsoever. But again, I think a lot of that was also execution, which was poor on the offensive line's part. They could not protect at all. Mike Glennon being rattled, as you brought up, that was a huge thing. And then the drop passes, man. And this is a team that prides himself on fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals. And I know we're going to get into the coaching later. What the heck is so fundamentally sound about the New York Giants right now? Outside no, of no, the yeah, I mean, you you said it best. They're not a fundamentally sound team at all. If you're objectively looking at this thing, he has not succeeded in building a fundamental team. That's Joe Judge. And I mean, it's a bit overrated that he did it last year. Again, people may put too much weight in wins over backup quarterbacks. We can't continue to do those types of things. It's kind of why we're in the position we're in now, you know, feeling really, you know, we went into this offseason a lot. Of, not, not me necessarily and not necessarily you either, Nick, but a lot of people felt like, Oh my God, the Giants hit the jackpot. They landed Joe Judge. He's unbelievable. And there wasn't much unbelievable in my mind about the 2020 season. Grinding out a win against Russell Wilson, you know, with it was, wasn't as good as it seemed. The Seahawks didn't go anywhere last year. So I don't know. But I will say this as far as the fundamentals go, it wasn't there on the offense today. They had penalties that killed drives, they had to call timeouts. 
They, I don't know what is going on with Joe Judge in the timeout situation, but at this point, he's arguably one of the worst coaches in the NFL when it comes to calling timeout, uh, managing his timeouts. And, you know, there's so many plays where the Giants are unprepared. Like, oh, they got to call timeout. Like, they didn't get to the line of scrimmage in time. They didn't get the play in. They didn't see it right. And they got to call timeout. And, the end, and, and some of the clock management stuff, even outside of the timeouts, is just mind-boggling to me with Judge. And at this point, it, if he's going to return, I said this on Twitter and I stand by it, Nick. They need to hire someone to manage the timeouts. They need to take that responsibility off Judge. It's not for him at this stage of his career. He's a young coach, didn't have any head coach experience coming into this job with the Giants. Special teams coordinator didn't coordinate a side of the ball before this. He needs someone to help him out with the clock management and with the timeouts specifically. This is not something he can do very well right now. He has not proven he can do it. He's had a long time to try to get better at it, and he's not doing a good job with it at all. And this offense in general, man, it to me, man, it looks so discombobulated. It looked like they were not on the same page in any in any way. And I get it. It's a backup quarterback, but you have a whole week to practice. Like, it shouldn't look that bad with a week of practice in my mind. Do you see it that way, or do you kind of just see, like, you know, it's just what happens when you turn to a backup quarterback? I think it's a combination of both, but in terms of the the mismanagement of the timeouts and the mismanagement of, or just the uber conservative nature of Joe Judge, I think that's separate to the fact that it's Mike Glennon going into a hostile environment against a very blitz-heavy team, a very aggressive team that's kind of surging right now on a, what, five-game winning streak now after this game. I think that's difficult to prepare for, especially for a team that isn't good, like the New York Giants, if I'm going to be frank. To point to what you were talking about before, man, those timeouts, dude, like what was going on there? And I'm not 100% certain of the rule with the first timeout. So the first timeout that he spent in the in the first half, it seemed like the play clock and the game clock were synced and they were moving down at the same time. Now, like I'm not 100% certain, but wouldn't you not get a penalty if they both expire at the same time? I feel like I've seen that right. before in the NFL. And if that is the case, and I'm not hundred percent certain if it is, but if that is the case, man, that is an egregious mistake that you make right there, calling a timeout in that situation. I, I mean, if, if you could just let the first quarter roll out because those two clocks were synced, then that would be the move. Why would you burn a timeout to, to run one play before the end of the first quarter? Yeah. I don't have an answer for you. Unfortunately, um, you know, the, the bigger question for me is like, what does he do well right now as a head coach? Because we're all just saying he's going to be back next year. He's going to be back. We shouldn't move on from, him. we don't want to fire a coach every two years. I get it. But like, I'm not so sure that's kind of what we've, it's kind of been our motto for the giants for a long time. Now it's kind of was our motto after two years into Gettleman. It wasn't like, stop looking back on 2018, right? It was, don't talk about the past. Don't talk about it. Give him more time. He needs more time to build. But when you kind of go back to the well over and over on things that aren't working well, I'm not sure and that, no pun intended with a well, well there. I'm not sure that that's the right way to do it. Like whatever the Giants have been doing these last four or five years is not right. Like we're not getting this thing right. And if you take out 2016, I looked at it today. There's a decade straight, I think it is, or starting with 2012 and this is 2021. So yeah, that's going to be a decade straight of seven or nine or worse for the New York football Giants taking out 2016. One of 10 years did they not do that. And this week, for example, the Giants after this game on offense have now scored three offensive touchdowns in four games, four full games, like 16 quarters, three offensive touchdowns. And really Nick, that's two because one of them was after Mahomes threw that ball that hit off Tyreek Hill and landed right in Dory Jackson's hand for a first and goal touchdown. That's not on the offense. Like they had nice trick play to get it to Andrew Thomas. Oh, great. And like, but that's not the offense moving it and scoring a touchdown. It's, it's one series. And so it's like really two offensive touchdowns earned in 16 quarters. That's that's a new level of ineptitude that to me cannot fully be blamed. And I, I can't accept full excuses for that. It's kind of like the thing, like you said, like, OK, it's a tough spot to get a backup quarterback in. But to look that unprepared on offense, it's hard for me to just fully, you know, pin it to the excuse game, Nick, because you have over there in Philly. And I know the matchup's a little easier. That's, again, an excuse, right? It's like we always have an excuse to lay down on when it comes to evaluating this team, it feels like. But I know the matchup's easy, but the Eagles look pretty prepared on offense today with a backup quarterback in, right? Like they didn't look unprepared against the Jets. I know it's an easier matchup, blah, 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 but they were prepared. They were in sync. They were moving the ball well and things, you know, Passing game was was in sync and it looked prepared. The running game looked prepared and in sync. And it just didn't feel that way watching this Giants offense today. Everything looked so unprepared and so out of sync. 
Yeah, but the Giants' offense sucks. Philly's offense is good, and Gardner Minshew is much better than Mike. But Glennon. it's a backup quarterback. Yeah, and Gardner Minshew is a much better backup quarterback than Mike Glennon is. Sure, I totally agree with that. I wanted them to acquire Gardner Minshew. All it cost was a six-round pick. Like you could argue, he's better than Brad Bed Bredesen, who they traded a top 100 pick for, who got to play a little bit today and looked okay, I guess. Uh, probably not. We'll, we'll get to see that on the film, but like all they had to trade was a six-round pick for him, right? And so. I don't know, man. I just the general thought for me is though, like you bring in the backup, the excuse of him not really having enough time, it doesn't really work when you see other backups kind of more in sync in my mind. And I get it, their team's better, their offensive line's better, everything's better there um, for that team. Even though they were supposed to be the rebuilding, the craziest thing is the Eagles were supposed to be the rebuilding team this year, and the Giants were supposed to be the team competing for like eleven wins, right? In the wild card, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a uh, that was fool's gold. To, I guess so. We all got fooled by it, man. I was predicting me. I think me and you both saw a 10 win season on the horizon for this team. I but, think I said uh, eight, and nine, nine and eight was like somewhere. Oh, you, you were, you did better than me, man. Cause I was, I was, you know, I was bamboozled here. I think I, I, think I, I really started, was. I think I started that way like earlier in the off season. And then I kind of like kind of pulled back a little bit once I started realizing how bad this offensive line was going to be. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, Look, I, I think by the end of it, after seeing some of those preseason games, I might have kind of in, maybe in that same boat. But I, I don't know, man. I thought things were going to be better here. Let's talk about some other parts of this offense. Kenny Galladay injured, came back in the game, played through the injury. But what are your thoughts right now on this Galladay thing? Because it's starting to almost somebody texted me this. Uh, they're like, you know, it's obviously not at the same level, but the Galladay offseason situation is a little bit similar to the Zeitler Whitworth situation from uh, 2017 season where the Giants opted to sign uh, Brandon Marshall instead of Andrew Whitworth, older player Whitworth still been great. Um, Kevin Zeitler, older player. They opted to kind of cut that salary, get him off the team and bring in a wide receiver again, opting for the skill player over the line. Um, and as we said on, on, on the podcast all last season, we both felt Kevin Zeitler was the most consistent Giants offensive lineman in the 2020 season the best offensive lineman overall. And they got rid of him uh, for a wide receiver. What are your thoughts right now on this Galladay move? Are you as excited about it as you were? I guess obviously you won't. Well, has your mind changed at all? Because we were both kind of applauding the move back in March. Yeah, you wanted to get Daniel Jones, the playmakers, to bring his game to a level that I guess we kind of didn't think it could reach. Because you and I, we haven't been overly high on Daniel Jones. We think there's some things to work with with Daniel Jones. But the the upside in the ceiling isn't quite there for him. And we thought Kenny Galladay can maybe help him get to that ceiling. Well, we haven't seen that quite yet. We haven't seen that all season. And this guy is still looking for his first touchdown as a New York Giant, Dan. And I get he's dealt with injuries. But Andrew freaking Thomas has a touchdown as a New York Giants. Chris freaking Myrick has a touchdown as a New York Giant. Kenny Galladay still does not have a freaking touchdown. And that is his game, bro. He is a contested catch 50-50 ball winner. He is somebody who is supposed to be a red zone threat. And he hasn't been that quite yet. So no, I'm not excited. I'm not I don't believe that he's a bad football player all of a sudden. I just don't think the Giants have used his skill set well because the offense is so freaking pathetic. And it starts with the offensive line. And then I think it goes to also Daniel Jones. I think Jason Garrett's offense also doesn't help. But all in all, Kenny Galladay, who is that X receiver who should fit in well with Jason Garrett's offense, it hasn't worked quite yet. So I'm disappointed at what's going on with Kenny Galladay. And there's a part of me, and even though he has, what, $72 million out of this, I look at Kenny Galladay and I'm like, I kind of feel bad for you, dude, because you went from a bad situation to a bad situation. It's got a bad judgment on your part, and you believe that the Giants could take your game to another level, and that has not happened yet. And now you've become a target (laughs) from a lot of Giant fans. But, I mean, Kenny Galladay is the least problem with this Giants offense right now. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think for me, Nick, it's not even about the player eval. I still think Kenny Galladay can be a really elite wide receiver in the incentive. I actually honestly feel that way. I loved watching his film. I don't think Daniel Jones does him any favors to be completely honest with the situation with his ball placement, especially in the red zone. But for me, it's not that. I I kind of am starting to feel a little less excited about the move because of what I mentioned earlier, what I attested to earlier, the the Whitworth versus... uh, the Whitworth versus Marshall decision, the Ingram versus Ryan Ramchek decision, and so on and so forth. I feel like it's almost a fool me once, shame on me, fool me, to, or fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, fool me three, four, five times. It keeps happening, and I'm not making – and I've said over and over that I believe that you really shouldn't be investing in the skills 
your money and your and your assets and everything should be going to lines. And once you build a line, then you can start to invest in the skills. Something the Dallas Cowboys have done a great job of, right? Like they invested in Gallup after they built the line. They invested in Cooper. They made a trade for Cooper. That's the same, not the same, but they invested in Lamb after they already had the line in place for CD Lamb. And the Giants actually haven't done that because the line wasn't in place when they spent all this cap space on Kenny Galladay. And I almost feel like I'm starting to fall into the same trap that I kept falling into early on in my in my analysis. Like I was excited about the Brandon Marshall move. I thought it made a lot of sense at the time and I was wrong. And I, not, that's not to say I didn't want Whitworth. I said Whitworth should be number one priority. Uh, but, you know, I was excited about Evan Ingram even at the time, man. I really was. And and I feel like I keep falling for this skill position, even though I know deep down the skills don't mean anything if you don't have an offensive line. And ultimately, we did it again. Obviously, it's fine. We got the extra pick from the Bears. Hopefully, they can hit on that pick because if not, it won't be fine because there was two blue chips, Micah Parsons and Rashawn Slater. And especially for this argument's sake, Slater, the offensive lineman, as what we're saying. But again, they go skill position. And so it's almost to me like only thing I regret about Galladay right now is that I feel almost, Nick, like I'm falling into the same traps that I've fallen into in the past. Yes. And we, we could do a whole podcast, and we may, on what was the biggest mistake from the New York Giants in the 2021 offseason. And there are so many that there are so many things that come to my mind. I mean, I think one of the biggest ones, especially since we've seen all of this transpire has to be the evaluation. If you want to call it that of Matt Parrott, because this team passed on tackles, this team passed on offensive line in general, other than a couple depth signings of Zach Fulton and Joe Looney, who ended up retiring during training camp. And Matt Parrott can't even see the field right now, dude. And you have Nate Solder out there. And that is another huge issue with this offensive line and just this offense in general is the fact that there is so much pressure on the quarterback and Nate Solder right. can't hold up. And this, and we, we called it, man. We called it coaching hubris. We brought in Rob Sale after a tumultuous situation with Mark Colombo and Dave DiGuglielmo last year. So now you think you have everything figured out and you can develop your young pieces. Well, what did we say during the offseason, man? We said, hey, this could be coaching hubris. I don't, you know, they, they better like really have a good feel on their evaluations of these young guys, Shane Lemieux, Matt Parrott, all of these dudes. And it didn't necessarily materialize, especially in the case of Matt Parrott since Lemieux got injured. And now we are seeing the, uh, the offense with Nate Solder starting and it's just, it's abysmal, man. It's egregious. And that's such an oversight on the coach's part. It's such an oversight on Dave Gettleman's part. And that's what has to be one of the biggest issues with last offseason. Yeah. I would say that would give a run for the money. I I'd give one thing I give a run for the money would be the evaluation of Kevin Zeitler as well. Like obviously he wasn't the elite player. He was earlier in his career, but he was their best and most consistent lineman. They felt like they didn't want to allocate space to him as an older player. And they felt like they had, guys in Will Hernandez and Shane Lemieux who wouldn't provide a drop-off for them. Well, guess what? I know Lemieux is hurt, but he didn't play well last year. Guess what? Will Hernandez is a massive drop-off from massive. what Zeitler put on film last year. Would you agree with that? Massive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Will Hernandez was so bad in this game, too, man. The, the guy, I don't, I don't understand how he just doesn't see stunts and twists coming when he's going up against a three technique and that three technique it's automatically crazy. releases off the line <laughs> of scrimmage into the inside shoulder or the midpoint of the tackle. And he doesn't even anticipate the looper coming from the five tech or the wide nine or whatever. And it, it, it happens, you know, it's, it's not like, Oh, it happens, you know, once in a while. No, it's happened several All the times time. this year, dude. It's it, year four. I mean, dude. I don't think you, uh, it's year four, Nick. I think you go back in time, and I'm not sure you find a single offensive lineman drafted in the top 35 of the NFL draft in NFL history who is worse at that specific trait, stunt recognition. I'd, I'd be, I'd put my money up right now. You will not find a single offensive lineman worse at stunt recognition drafted in the top 35 of any NFL draft in the history of football since this thing started. It's year four. Like, how is this still happening with him? It's unbelievable. We're at the point where they can't re-sign him this offseason. He's not worth anything to this team. He's worth nothing. He's a bad starter that shouldn't be on the field at this point. But he has to be because there's no one else to play over him. They played Bredesen today over Skura. We're going to look at the film, but like, didn't didn't to me didn't stand out. He had one really nice run play on uh, run play in the run game. I thought when they ran on that third and six, which was actually in my mind a very good call by Freddie Kitchens. I love that. I love when coaches do that run on those third and medium to long type situations, especially when your offense can't really convert too much in the pass game. But aside from that, I'm not sure he played that well. So yeah, it's, it's to me, it's just like 
offensive linemen are so freaking hard to locate in the NFL. And so many teams have offensive line problems. And we already know, Nick, like we've established this. The smart people know you go nowhere without an offensive line. At this point, like every Giants fan's on board with it too. Like years ago when I covered this team, when I first started in 2016, people didn't care this much about the offensive line. You know, people weren't as convinced that the offensive line is everything. Now everyone knows it, but yet you still make decisions like you said. Believe in Matt Parrott to the point where you don't add a single offensive tackle in free agency or the or the NFL draft. Believe Nate Solder can be your swing tackle after watching him in practice. Decide Kevin Zeitler's not worth his salary despite the fact that he was insanely consistent for your offense and is a proven lineman. Like you don't have any, you have none other at the time on the roster. You have obviously the upside in, in Thomas, but but at that point, like he did have some bad games going going into this offseason. So there's a lot to say, man. But the the way they've treated this offensive line in the four years has been very negligible, and this was supposed to be the first thing that was fixed here. It was promised to us, day one of the Gettleman era, I'm going to fix this offensive line, and that just hasn't happened. It's worse than it's ever been. But let's transition from the co- uh, from the offense now, Nick, and let's talk a little bit about the coaching in this game with Joe Judge uh, specifically because we've talked already about Freddie Kitchens, and obviously we, we've waxed poetic about Patrick Graham. We'll get to more of that on the Defense Vault 22 pod. But as far as Joe Judge, man, like, this was not a good game by him by any degree. I don't like the decisions to punt on fourth and short ever in opponent's territory. I'm just out on it altogether. If you miss, worst case, you put your defense back on the field, a good defense. And the one time when they punted and they they end zoned it because they have Riley Dixon, who's somehow the fourth highest paid punter in the NFL and arguably the fourth worst or worse at this point. But Gettleman traded a pick and re-signed him early on. Good job again, DJ. Thanks. Um, they got the ball at the 20 and then two plays later, they were basically at the point where the giants would have put the Dolphins at if they had missed the fourth and two, but you can also convert fourth and two. It's not hard to get two yards in the NFL, the way the rules are set up. It is a little hard for this offense, but there's plays you can practice. There's two point conversion type plays that you can call that defense hasn't seen to create a couple yards. And so I didn't like his decisions there, man. I didn't like the clock management. We talked about the timeouts. Uh, the team didn't look prepared to me. The team made stupid penalties at this point, man. What did he do? Like, what was your overall evaluation of Judge today? Oh, it was terrible. This was, in my opinion, probably the worst game for Judge. And we only went over the one timeout, which was in the first half. You put a first half timeout, yeah. You know, you don't necessarily want to do that, but it's it's more excusable than doing that in the second half. And he did that in the second half with about five minutes and change left in the uh, third quarter. And he did it during a second and 23, Dan, after... Mike Lennon got sacked by Jalen Phillips because Will Hernandez couldn't protect the inside when Will Hernandez kicked out to, to locate the end man on the line of scrimmage in a protection where Mike Lennon was rolling to his right, setting his feet and was probably going to throw across his body to play the Giants use a lot in Jason Garrett's playbook. But then Mike Lennon was just annihilated by Phillips. Then he calls the timeout and they're backed up in the Giants situation it's a second and 23 man you're playing a game of field position why are you burning timeouts in the situation in the second half then of course out of the timeout what happens mike lennon gets sacked again and then just to make things worse it's third and 30 they take a false start penalty or no no i'm sorry a delay of game penalty third and 33 how is that good coaching at all just that sequence man and it's this is not a one-off thing either dan we talk about it on this podcast this is not a one-off thing this is something that has happened consistently with judge in terms of his inability to judge <laughs> when to call timeout and, and when's the most opportune time to call timeout and why this is my question now why is he calling timeouts because the team seems to be unprepared in certain situations which reflects right. coaching like th- there's just a lot of things that in my opinion were wrong with Joe Judge in this game. Now, I don't know if Joe Judge cost the team this game. I'm not going to necessarily say that. I think there could be arguments that his coaching or the coaching in general cost the Washington game and the Atlanta game. This one, maybe not, but it definitely cost the Giants more of an opportunity to win the football game. And, and that's just, you know, this is the third, fourth time we're saying that this season, man, that something's got to give, you know, you can't consistently lose football games, come out and say, you know what, we're making progress. Well, we're not seeing any progress, Joe. We're just not. Yeah, and that's the thing. Even if you throw out all the fourth down nonsense, like his lack of aggression at all times, the belief in field position, not scoring touchdowns, him saying you don't always need to score touchdowns to win. If you throw all that out and you want to say, okay, it's good to punt in these spots, fine. It's the timeouts that really bother me. And obviously you feel the same way. It's like at no point there should be a sheet. There should be some kind of sheet that shows you know success rates. Like if you're second and 23 and it's the second half, 
there should be somebody who's in control of this because he clearly is not to be quite frank about this situation, Nick, not to be a hater again. Everyone's like, oh, you're whining. You're a hater. No, this is just being honest and open and objective about it. He can't handle this. And somebody needs to be in his ear saying it's the second half. It's second and 23. We're unlikely to convert this to field position game. Timeouts in the second half are worth gold. Under no circumstances can you call the timeout. Take the delay. Go to second and 28. You're not converting this. No, You don't even have to say it. Like These things shouldn't have to be said. Like It should just be known. Second and 20, 20 or longer, do not burn a second half timeout. Take the, fu- the five-yard penalty and move on with the freaking drive. Punt the ball and put your defense back on the field. You've been doing that all day anyway. You've been punting the ball and putting your defense on the field at all times, even when you're in the opponent's territory and it's fourth and short. So take the punt on second and 23, okay? Someone needs, he needs to know this. It shouldn't be a problem. And I'm getting heated, man, because it's just so frustrating. And I'm going to stop there, but I'm going to say this, Nick. I don't know that he needs to be back next year. I'm sorry, man. I just don't know because he's not doing a good job. It's year two. He had no experience coming into this job. Everyone at the time besides us said it was a massive risk. People said it was a ridiculous hire at the time. They were like, Joe Judge, this guy is a special teams coordinator. And it worked with Jim Harbaugh, obviously, with the with the Ravens. It works sometimes, I guess, with these special teams coordinators. But Jim Harbaugh didn't look like this in year two. He wasn't making these kinds of mistakes in year two. And as we go into the season, we're obviously getting a new general manager. I'm not so sure. And hopefully it's outside the organization. For God's sake, I hope it's not Gavin Abrams, just a promotion from within because we can't do this. But if it's someone new, man, I don't want it to just be this guy has a nice connection with Joe Judge. He has the same vision as Joe Judge. He's only getting hired because he's aligned with Joe Judge. I want the best possible candidate. And if that candidate doesn't believe in Joe Judge, see you, man. I'm out. I'm putting the candidate over judge because it's not working. We've had enough time now to know. I mean, most of this is on Gettleman for sure, but Joe judge has not looked good in these first two years, man. And I'm, I'm losing, I'm losing faith fast. That's all I'm going to say, Nick, I'm losing faith fast, especially when he comes out after the game and looks these fans in the eyes, looks us in the eyes and tells us that he thought he saw progress today and he thought things were going well. And he said, this team is headed in the right direction. And he's trying tries to frame it like, oh my God, he's facing this unbelievably talented Miami Dolphins team. Oh my God, they're on such a roll. Yeah, they're on a roll. They're not an elite team. Miami Dolphins have no chance to win this year's Super Bowl. Everyone listening to this podcast would agree with that. They're a pretty good team, and they're playing really good right now. But they're on. They've been some bad teams, and they're winning some games. Like this is not some unbelievable Miami team. And the fact that we were in the game with Miami, things things are headed in the right direction. No, this was a game that showed the opposite, and. Every fan who watched that knew this. So you can't look the fans in the eyes in my mind after the game and tell them this team is headed in the right direction. Players played well, and you, he was in, uh, he was encouraged by the performance. Yeah, no. When I when I watched his post game press conference, I was like, ah, oh, come on, Joe. And and I get like you want to like applaud your guys for playing hard and everything, and and kind of take the blame yourself. But I didn't even see a lot of that either. It was more like I mean, yeah, he comes out with the whole like, oh yeah, you know, we got to coach better, we got to play better, got to execute more. But man, like that punt, dude, the one from the four, on a fourth and two with 503 remaining in the third, that was in the 98th percentile, according to Surrender Index, of cowardly punts of 2021. And it ranked 96 percentile since all punts since 1999. That's the second or third punt this season that's ranked in the 95th or higher percentile in terms of cowardly when it comes to what's the Surrender Index uh, rates, which is, uh, for those of you who don't know, the Surrender Index is a Twitter account that uh, has some kind of algorithm that judges all punts in the National Football League, and they've been doing it against, I guess, since 1999. And Joe Judge frequently appears as one of the more cowardly play callers in the NFL, according to their index. Yeah, he owns three of the most cowardly punts of all time, I believe, um, according to their index. It's a consistent thing with him. This is his belief. This is who, and that's my problem. Nick. This is who he's going to be. Everybody said at first, oh, well, blame it on the line. He doesn't trust his line. Oh, he doesn't trust his quarterback. Oh, da, da, da. he's young. No, no, no. This is him. This is what it is. This is what we're strapped in with. And so if that's the thing, man, like, I don't know why I'm supposed to like want him back to be completely honest with you, man, from just a fan standpoint, like taking the analyst out of this, me, Dan, as a fan, someone who's watched this team poured hours of my time into this team since I was five years old. I was going to games. My first game was seven years old. My dad, I'll never forget. It It was the playoff game against the Vikings. Chris Calloway fumbled the onside kick. It was raining. It was a disaster. The Vikings went on to score after he fumbled the onside kick. But 
you know, for this long, it, as a fan, it's tough to want this back because I don't buy into this style of coaching. I don't buy into the cowardly style of coaching. I don't buy into the put field position first. I don't buy into the grind it out. I don't buy into any of it. And at the same time, this team is undisciplined. This team takes stupid penalties. This team's offense hasn't gone anywhere. This team doesn't know how to manage its timeouts. This team doesn't know how to manage the clock. This team doesn't all of the sudden, in my mind at least, show me anything that leads me to believe this coach is doing something right for the team. And so it's hard, man. It's really hard. I don't want to necessarily, you know, give up on the guy this early, especially because some of this damage he he inherited. Like he came into year three of Gettleman. This is <laughs> we're not going to do a Gettleman pod, but that's not a good place to be year three of Gettleman. But the same time, man, the, some of these coaching stuffs are are these coaching fallacies seem a bit inconceivable to me that and just to the point where I'm just not so certain I feel optimism, I guess I should say, man. I mean, look, it's tough right now for the Giants uh, in general. Obviously, the defense is great, but as far as the things that aren't working, it's it doesn't really feel too much like a light of the tunnel. And, I, and I'll just be honest with you. Like I said, I, I hated to hear him kind of talk about how things were going right how players did well, the, he was encouraged by the performance, and then, you know, wax poetic about some unreal elite Miami team he faced today, which clearly isn't the case. Yeah, it's hard to stick up for Joe Judge right now. It really is, because the product on the field is so atrocious. So I don't even, I, I, I don't really even get like, the, oh, we're heading in the right direction thing, or like why people would think in that manner. And I don't even know if any Giant fans actually think in that manner. I think yeah. literally the only person who does is Joe Judge, which is <laughs> It's just delusional, dude. And I hope that the players aren't burning out, man. That's the other thing no one talks yeah. about. Like, you know, when you got these guys running laps like a high school coach, I know a lot of fans celebrated that. I never did. And it's like these guys are going to burn out when they lose a lot of games and this coach is running them into the ground, driving them into the ground like a high school coach. I don't know, man. I don't know where we're at with that, but we had to talk about it. We had to talk about it. After a performance today, like today from Judge, which is I think you nailed it, probably his worst coaching performance of the year, even though – I don't even feel like this one, he was as much to blame as he was in Washington or, or uh, Atlanta, but just all the mistakes and the mishaps in this game were just almost comical to some extent in a dark way, in a really dark way for us fans. And yet they're four and eight and probably somewhat still alive in this playoff hunt, um, depending on what happens with Jones, I would say, because, you know, unless Jake Fromm <laughs> shocks the world next week, imagine if Jake Fromm does well, that would be the funniest thing ever. And so, unsuspecting uh if he like lights it up or just moves the ball at all you don't even need to light it up at this point for us to be excited like this team has is is reaching levels of offense that are unheard of bad at this point like so we'll see what happens there man but jake from the young colt mccoy <laughs> yeah the young colt mccoy the same arm talent same level arm talent same level mind won some big games at uh at georgia i will say this though nick and i'm curious to get your take on this I'd play from if Jones is, let's say he's out for the year, if this neck is just not going to hold up. And they, because I think actually I read today, I read as we were recording from Vacchiano, he's going to see a specialist. That's never what you want to see. No, like once not. they start to go to the specialist, it's scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that's the case, I'm on team from rest of the year. I have nothing to, I don't want to see anything from Glennon. I'll start by saying that. You know me when it comes to winning these meaningless games at the end of the year. I'm not going to lie. I'm not too. I'm not too big on winning these games and winning our way out of Aiden Hutchinson, for example, let's say, um, and a good offensive lineman. And in general, I want to see if Fromm can maybe be a really talented backup for them, like somebody who they can count on. Like we know we have nothing with Mike Lennon, right? So what's the point in not playing someone like Fromm? Because maybe you can find their long-term backup. At least he was a former decent recruit, won some big time games in the sec. Like to me at this point, Nick, if he starts next week because of Glenn's concussion, I don't really care how he performs because Glennon was so bad. I'm I'm in the camp of if Jones is out the rest of the season, start Jake Fromm the rest of the way. I don't hate it. My one thing is I, I don't know how much he has mastered Jason Garrett's playbook at right. this point and how comfortable he is or the rapport that he may or may not have with the receivers, which leads me more towards Glennon than Fromm because you know the team is definitely going to be like, well, we're trying to win football games. Right. They're not going to be, you know. So that, that's why I kind of lean Glennon, but I don't hate 
where you're coming from at all because I think, you know, this kid is what, like 23, 24 years old. Mike Glennon's 31. He's not going to be here too much longer. So why not at least give this kid a shot when the season's over? It's just the Giants don't consider their season over yet because that last wild card seed is still available. Although I have very, 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 very little hope the Giants could ever push for that last wild card spot. But I mean, it is available and you have teams like Minnesota losing and stuff like that. So. Yeah, Minnesota losing. We had a nice win today from the Seahawks. We should be rooting for that because uh, that put him to four and eight. So that's good yeah. for the Giants draft position. Always root for those teams you see uh, with a worse record than the Giants to win games for the rest of the season. And, of course, root against the Bears. It was nice to see them lose today. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, no one seems to want that seven seed, uh, except for the Washington football team, apparently, who, you know, despite the fact that they don't have a single offensive tackle that I can even name, essentially, that's how bad their offensive tackle play is, and they have a backup quarterback in, they're, they're all of a sudden winning games again. That's a good coach. I'll stand by that. I like Ron Rivera as a coach. Yeah, Ron Rivera, he's the man. No, they still got Morgan Moses, or he's no. Nah, I think Morgan Moses. No, is. Moses signed with the Jets this offseason. They have a really bad tackle play. They, there's no, you know, they're the team that when when they come to mind, Nick, and I start thinking about the Washington Football Team, that's when I start to run out of like I, I start to kind of get tune out the excuse, the excuse, you know, the excuse mob from the Giants. Everything's this, you know. They Pretty sure Samuel Cosme's hurt too. Yeah, yeah, the kid they ta- uh, drafted in the second round. Out of yeah, the, the reason they cut Moses is because of Cosme. They're really dealing with really bad tackle play there. A backup quarterback, no real weapons in the passing game outside of McLaurin, and injuries to play even their second best weapon like Logan Thomas and you know Gibson not fully healthy. Doesn't all the excuses in the world? They have them too, and they're winning football games. So. You know, that that's kind of when I run out of excuses when it comes to the Giants, at least. But Taylor Heineke, too. Like, and that's no shot at Taylor Heineke, but Taylor no. Heineke was a player that was literally just, you know, a total journeyman bouncing around the league and he got a shot and he seized said shot. And Daniel Jones is a top 10 pick. So, I mean, those two things are uh, very, very different. One of them is winning football games right now in a less than ideal situation. Taylor Heineke makes plays too. He gets him out of a lot of third down spots. And I actually saw a stat going into this week. He leads the NFL in tight window throws. So he just really doesn't care. He'll throw those tight window balls. And I like watching it, man, because you, you complete those sometimes or you get penalties sometimes off of those and you move the ball. Uh, that's something they do. They, they, they can move the ball a little bit and they can win football games. They won again today and they're, they might take that seven seed at this point, but no one seems to want it. So the giants are still alive. We're going to keep, talking about it until at least it's over and then we'll start to you know pivot to the offseason but I will say this I stand by the from thing I'd rather see from the rest of the way maybe he has maybe he can be the long-term backup I see nothing really to gain with Glennon I, I was pretty stunned at how like unprepared Glennon seemed today for someone who's had this many starts under his belt yeah it wasn't a great I mean I felt like though and you brought this up earlier in the in the game or like the first drive he hit Farrell Cooper on a nice deep dig he found Kenny Galladay back yeah. shoulder he was kind of cooking a little bit early. And honestly, right before the interception, I think he had two back-to-back really nice throws. And I'm pulling yep. it up right now. He had a really nice pass to Kenny Galladay. And then bef- and two plays before that, he had another nice pass to Evan Ingram that went for 18 yards. And you're like, okay, man, look at Mike Glennon. He's cooking a little bit. And then he just throws it up in the double coverage to Darius Slayton, who, again, had another bad game. Darius, The, the, the Darius Slayton from 2019 is lost, bro. Like, what happened to that guy? Yeah, his confidence is shot, I guess, is part of the problem. He's been injured a bunch. That's probably part of the problem. But, yeah, I, that guy doesn't seem to be there anymore, unfortunately, because we thought we had a gem hit there. But you're right with Glennon. I, I think unprepared is probably not the right word. I kind of meant shook. Like, shook is probably the word I'm mm. looking for. He just looked so shook by the blitz. Like, dude, you've had so many starts under your belt. Like, how is this? How is this? Like, what's how's that what we saw today? Um, I'm wondering but, when he suffered said concussion. Right. I, no play really sticks out to me as one where he took like a big shot to the head unless I'm overlooking one. So I'm curious if he if he actually suffered that like maybe early in the third quarter or late in the second quarter. And then he kind of one reason why he was so egregious. And this is not an excuse. I'm making the Giants offense is terrible. But maybe one reason why he was so egregious and missing throws was because his his head got knocked a little bit. It's possible. We don't know. We'll find time will tell. We'll wrap up here with this. The Giants currently slated to pick sixth and seventh in the 2022 NFL draft if it ended today. So not bad, but I think if they want Aiden Hutchinson or, you know, the, the t- if they want one of the big three, Neil Hutchinson or Thibodeau, did I, did I pronounce it right that time? Yep. Okay. They want one of the big three. I think they'll probably have to be in that three, four range. Would you kind of agree with that just based on how bad this quarterback class is? Yeah, I think. Hutchinson and Thibodeau will be top five picks. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think it's hard to imagine they don't 
uh, you know, they, they, they get out of the top five. So just something to keep in mind as we talk about the draft picks moving forward. I'm really excited to get into draft coverage. It's my favorite. Unfortunately for us, since there hasn't been much fun to talk about with as far as the actual football games go for the last four years or whatever it's been, it is always exciting to talk about the drafts. So I can't wait to get in some of those prospects and talk to you guys about them, talk to Nick about them, really start to get excited about it. But that's probably the range you're looking at if you want the Giants to get one of the big three. And I would consider those guys right now the big three as far as targets for the Giants, guys that can make a massive impact at positions we need uh, ASAP. So just something to keep in mind. Absolutely. There's also interior offensive lineman, Lindenbaum, the center from Iowa, who's really good at the Giants or the Bears end up winning some football games. Maybe they can get him a little bit later in the first round. And there's also a couple other tackles that we will be breaking down extensively. So it's not just Evan Neal. Neal is the one one when all things are said and done. Like we need to do our research on this. And there's a lot of film that we still need to cover. Can't wait too, man. Can't wait. I mean, big Alabama. I am so excited for draft coverage. But anyway, thank you to everybody tuning in. We hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Obviously, the holiday season is coming up. So we really appreciate all of our listeners. You guys are with us through and through, despite the fact that this team doesn't really give much to be excited about right now. And we thank you for that. Better days will be ahead, we hope. It can't get much worse. That we can lock in, which is always a good thing. Um, And so hopefully the Giants can turn this thing around fast. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.